Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Spent a couple weeks in Matthew 24, some last days stuff if you're interested in Hearing about that, you can go back and get the messages online. I know there's more to say about that passage, but uh, we will get to some more of that, obviously, one of these days when we are in the book of Revelation. Tonight, I just kind of wanted to switch gears and talk. uh, I'm going to pray for the sick tonight, and I wanted to say a little bit about healing. This isn't a real strong, um, a real focused healing message, but I think there's an aspect of faith that we'll see in this. Uh, story that will, uh, I believe, uh, it, it'll just bring an added dimension to our faith, prepare us to receive, maybe get some obstacles to healing out of the way. And I want to start reading in verse 31. Now, I, I mean, w- what we're going to see here is a very familiar story where Jesus, uh, eventually in our reading here, is when Jesus calls Peter. You know, he borrows his boat. They catch the fish, and Peter says, or he says to Peter, from now on you'll fish for men. How many of you are familiar with this, right? Uh, And we're also going to read about when Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Both of those uh, instances are mentioned in other Gospels. And the order is not always the same. And it's it's a little confusing. It's one of those things where it's like, ah, which happened first? Did he call Peter, uh, or did he heal Peter's mother-in-law? I believe, I'm not going to spend any time making a case for this, because I don't think it matters that much. In fact, uh, I don't know how much I said about it when we were in the Gospels on Sunday morning. They did not, for whatever reason, put a, a real high uh, priority, make a high priority out of chronology. They, they, they put things in there, the, the, the Gospel writers, uh, they, they wrote either from their experience or from interviews. These are some things that have been documented. These are the things that happened in Jesus' life. Not always necessarily in this order. I believe because of the way it's written, Luke has the chronology right. And that's why I'm reading this out of Luke. It's because of the details that are in there, I think it sort of lends itself to it happening this way. Doesn't ultimately matter, uh, but uh, I'm going to make a point where it kind of matters. And I think uh, the main point will remain. Uh, In fact, I know it will. As far as where we tied in with healing... The central point, the chronology, doesn't matter at all. Uh, But I think you'll find this interesting and helpful. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 31, we read, And then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Interrupt the reading long enough to address this. Why did he rebuke the guy? Well, what what this demon was saying was true, wasn't it? It was. And it's kind of like we see the same thing in the book of Acts, and that little girl saying, These men are of the Most High God, uh, and they told her to shut up and cast a demon out of her. Well, why was a demon saying this stuff? Uh, I, I think it's just to confuse people, uh, and Jesus is kind of setting a precedent here. I'm, I'm not going to 
be lifted up on the testimony of demons. Even if what's coming out of the demon's mouth at this point is truth, uh, these are demons uh, in league with the father of lies, and uh, hearing the truth from the mouth of a demon or a demon-possessed man is just going to muddy the issue. Uh, So he told him to shut up. Cast this demon out, and when the demon had thrown him in their midst, still in verse 35, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Since uh, I, I, this is not a particularly long message, I, I just kind of want to make a, an observation here. The people who were hearing Jesus teach and who were witnessing him cast this demon out were in the habit of being in the synagogue on Sabbath. They had heard teachings from the Pharisees, from the scribes. And I don't know what form this teaching took. I'm sure everybody had their favorite teacher. Some people probably liked some better than others. But there was something about Jesus and his teaching that astonished everybody. And I, and I just sort of suppose it's something like, you know, there's, there's a, the scholarly approach a scribe might have taken. And, and uh, you can read this. In fact, it's still something that is uh, being written about today. It boggles my mind that people want to embrace it. But uh, the, the Jewish way of reading Scripture, there are books about this. And, uh, and typically, uh, what I've seen, and, I, and I'm not an expert on this, but I've seen a couple of books that have really been uh, promoted out there. And what they are trying to say is, you cannot read the Bible uh, dogmatically. You can't take it and say, well, this happened, and then say, well, this really happened, because the Jews didn't read it this way. The Jews opened up, uh, they were always open to multiple interpretations. And they let the Bible just sort of speak to them that way. And maybe they did. And maybe they did this back in Jesus' day. And maybe that's why they liked Jesus so much, because he didn't do that. The scribes might have got up and said, and read something from the scriptures and said, you know, this might mean a number of things. We can't be too sure that this really happened this way. Perhaps the flood was just an analogy for something. Perhaps uh, the fire that fell from heaven uh, on Mount Carmel to consume uh, the, the sacrifice was, was that maybe this was there was a natural explanation or maybe it was a smaller scale. Uh, let's look at the deeper meaning. I have a feeling this is exactly what they were used to hearing. And then Jesus comes in and teaches with authority and says, let me tell you what Scripture says. And he knows exactly what it means. Well, how does he know exactly what it means? Because he wrote it. This is his word, right? And so they're astonished at his teaching because he's not being wishy-washy. He's coming in and telling them. He's revealing scripture to them. And then, in the process of this, a demon manifests. Now, interestingly, they all knew it was a demon. I think they were all very familiar and, and very, uh, in, in terms of their theology, they acknowledged that demons existed. They acknowledged that demons possessed people and oppressed people and bothered them. And I don't know how they dealt with it before. Or if they dealt with it at all. Maybe they just waited for the manifestation to pass. Maybe they just took it for granted that uh, it was God's will that this person be tormented by a demon. But Jesus casts it out. And they're like, wow. He doesn't just teach with authority. He acts with authority. He takes charge. They were impressed. Rightly so. So, 
They were all amazed and spoke, 36 again, spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made, uh, they made request of him concerning her. Now, what does it say? What the request was? Hey, can you come in and pray for her? Can you come in and cheer her up? I don't know. They just made a request. Hey, she's sick. Will you go talk to her? Will you see her? So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So it was, chapter 5, verse 1, in the multi- as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. This was also known as the Sea of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. Let me stop there for a minute. And I want you to remember a couple things. Number one, he has witnessed Jesus healing his mother-in-law. He was in the synagogue, probably, I can't say for sure, hearing Jesus teach with authority. Uh, probably, can't say for sure, witnessing the demon being cast out. But then Jesus came to his house after church, and they asked, hey, will you go in? Peter's uh, mother, Simon's uh, mother-in-law is very sick. So he goes in there, and he doesn't just cheer her up, doesn't just talk to her. He just rebukes the fever, commands the fever to leave, and it does. And she gets, and she's instantly healed. She gets up and starts serving them. But there's nothing in there about Peter's reaction to this. I assume, I I think it's a very safe assumption that he witnessed this or was immediately aware of it. And then right after that we see, and I'm assuming it's as a result, word gets out, hey, you remember the guy that, that taught so well and he cast out the demon? He healed a woman. Yeah, Simon's mom was really sick. She had a fever. And Jesus just went in and spoke to her and she's better. So word gets out, and so everybody brings their sick relative over to Jesus. And he lays hands on every single one of them and heals them all. And in the process, some more demons come out. How much of this did Peter see? I don't know. I don't know where exactly this took place. I think it's, it's you know, is there an excellent chance he witnessed some of this? Yes. Is Is it possible that he witnessed none of it? Yeah, it's possible. In fact, where might Peter have been? At work. He was a fisherman. They fished at night. 
So I believe he witnessed his mother-in-law being healed, but then probably went to work, and then maybe these other healings happen. And then Jesus goes out. He's trying to get away from people. They press in on him, press on him, back him up against the water. Here's a couple boats. He gets in one and says, Simon, can you push me out a little bit in the water? Give me a little space to speak to these people. Sits down on the boat and teaches them, and then tells Peter or Simon, now go out into the water and cast your nets in for a great catch. And you remember what Peter's response is, right? But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, the master there, I don't want you to read too much into this. He's not a disciple yet. I think you could, it's, uh, you could translate that word, sir. It's a, it's a term of respect. And he's acknowledging, you know, this isn't just some stranger who showed up, shows up and says, let me use your boat. This is the guy that healed his mother-in-law. I think he's honoring Jesus' request for use of the boat because of what he has worked in his family. And this same guy who is teaching with authority now tells him to do something. Let down your nets for a catch. Now Peter's response is, I'm the fisherman. I know what I'm doing. We don't fish now. We fish at night. And we toiled all night and didn't catch anything. If we didn't catch anything at night, probably not going to catch anything now. But... Since you are the one who healed my mother-in-law, and possibly since you're the one who healed all these other people. Again, we don't know if Peter witnessed that. I'll do it just to honor you. My question to you is this. Just going by his response, was this a response of faith? Do you read anything in Peter's response that makes it sound, does it sound to you like he expected to catch anything? Because it doesn't to me. I think you could, you could retranslate this or reword this. I think what Peter's essentially saying is, I'm not going to catch anything, but just to please you, I'll throw the net in because you asked me to. So in one sense, there's not a lot of faith there. Throws the net in. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's a great catch of fish. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord read through the rest of this real quick and come back and say something about that. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now remember, Peter had seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law. But there are healings that take place today. And where people might look at this and say, well, the fever broke. Yeah, Jesus was there. Yeah, Jesus spoke to it, but the fever broke. The cancer went into spontaneous remission. I've heard this. We can't explain it. Cancer's not there anymore. It spontaneously went into remission. People will explain away miracles. If they don't want to believe, if they don't want to acknowledge, they'll find a way to explain it away. 
Now, I don't know, again, what Peter's immediate, re- immediate reaction was to his mother-in-law being healed. Maybe he didn't like his mother-in-law. Maybe that's why he didn't fall down and worship Jesus when that happened. I'm being facetious. But it's funny to me that he could see Jesus speak, hear him speak, see him cast out the demon, see a healing, at least one healing. And then when he catches the fish, and, and by the way, he had nothing to do with the demon being cast out, and he had nothing to do with his mother-in-law being healed. He could see that Jesus did this. In this case, he, the fisherman, did what fishermen do. He threw his net into the water where they fished. Did he expect to catch any? No, but this is, this is where the fish are. And he did throw a real net from a real boat, and he's a real fisherman. It's a real lake. And he catches real fish. And somehow this moves him to fall to his knees and say, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For whatever reason, Peter, the fisherman, knew that he had nothing to do with those fish being in that net. And it was something, in this case, unlike his mother-in-law being healed, unlike the demoniac being released and these other people being healed, Jesus had just miraculously intervened in his life. That will make a difference. When you recognize the hand of God in your life, it will change your life. It absolutely changes the direction of Peter's life. Now, what does this have to do with healing? I think this. If you look at, again, at his response, he knew, again, it wasn't his skill that had caught those fish. But was it faith? Did Peter exercise any faith to get those fish in the net. Because it doesn't sound like faith to me, what he said. They toiled all night, didn't catch anything. Because you're the one asking, and because I want to honor you, I'll throw them in there. And then they were, what? Astonished at the great catch of fish. How astonished are you if you're, if you're expecting something? So again, here's what I would say. This is, and you can write this down. I think it's worth remembering. What Peter did did not sound like faith, but it looked like faith. What looked like faith? Obedience looks like faith. He might not have been pumped up. The words at that moment might not have been faith-filled, but his actions were obedient to what Jesus told him to do. Told him to do. He didn't ask him to. Now, Cast your nets in for a great catch of fish. He didn't say cast them in and see what happens. He cast them in for a great catch of fish. I'll throw them in because you say so. That's obedience right there. And that's what faith looks like. Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. Maybe you have seen the hand of the Lord in somebody else's life. You've seen the works of God. Maybe you've seen the 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 hand of God in your own life, but there's an unmet need in your life. There is a physical healing that you need in your body. You need a manifestation of the promise that you've read, that you've heard preached. And I want to challenge you with this question. And the answer is not always yes. 
It might not be yes in this case, but I want to ask you, and I want you to ask yourself, is disobedience holding you back? Has God told you to do something that you are not doing? You know, one of the things that came to me, the thing that came to me immediately as I jotted these notes down was the very clear, the several very clear commands in Scripture to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. All through the Word of God. There's a command to give Him praise, to give Him honor. And I know, listen, and I know this is something I address every now and then. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty uh, uh, low-key charismatic. Doctrinally, I embrace it all. Uh, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the wild one. I'm not the, I'm not the stomper. I'm not the dancer. I'm not the roller. I'm not the, I'm not the jumper. But you know what? That excuse can only go so far or so low, whatever. I don't know what, what the, you can only lower the bar so much. You can't sit there and say, I'm not a singer. I'm not a clapper. I'm not a praiser. Because there's a command to do these things, isn't there? All right? He's absolutely worthy of our praise. And one of the responses might be, well, I do sometimes. But I'm not going to fake it. Scott, I come in here. I don't feel like it. I'm down. I'm not going to put on a happy face. God knows I'm not happy. I'm not going to tell him right now just how happy I am with life and be thankful because I don't feel these things. And God knows, so why fake it? There's nothing in those passages that say how you have to feel. Just tell you what needs to be coming out of your mouth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Rejoice. 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 But there's nothing to rejoice. Yes, there is. Jesus has risen from the dead. You have eternal life. God loves you. Rejoice for the things that you know are true. Don't hold back or you are disobeying him. Now, what am I saying? God's sitting there saying, I'll give you your healing if you give me a song. I'm just saying that obedience puts us in a posture of faith to receive the promises of God. Have you made an idol of something in your life? We don't really talk about idolatry in this modern age because we know better. We don't worship little dolls and things like that. But we all know better. We all know that different, there's different forms of idolatry. We make idols out of our jobs, out of our hobbies, sports. We can make idols out of our family, out of our kids. Well, family first. Mm-mm. God first. We made a God out of, have you made an idol out of money? This is a year of giving, so we talk about this from time to time. We talk about this from time to time anyway. God, I don't worship money. Are you withholding the tithe? Then you've made an idol out of money. Your money is more important to you than obeying God in the tithe. Well, that's legalistic. We're not under the tithe. Okay. Are you honoring him with the first fruits of your increase? Are you giving and expecting it to be given unto you? Or are you just waiting for a financial miracle so that you can give? Are you waiting for a healing so that you can obey? Is there something God has told you to do that you're not doing? Is there something you're doing that he's told you to stop doing? Because if we're not in obedience, we're not in faith. 
That's what faith looks like. It looks like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But what did Abraham's belief look like? Looked like obedience, didn't it? Get up, leave your land, leave your family, go to a land that I'll show you. He goes. Take Isaac, your only son Isaac, whom you love, sacrifice him to me on Mount Moriah. And he goes. It says he believed God. That he expressed that belief in obedience. I want you to stand up with me, and here's what we're going to do. I want to pray for the sick. I want to lay hands on the sick. Jesus laid hands on all, each one. I love the way it puts it there. In another place it says he healed them all. You know, in another, not, not another account of the same story, but another uh, episode in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus healed them all. I like the way it phrases it here. He laid his hands on each one of them and healed them. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do also. And greater works than these. Always remember that when somebody says, well, he said we do greater works. And that means uh, we can preach on the radio, we can get people saved, we can do this, things that he couldn't do in his day and age. Fine. I'm not going to argue about what the greater works are. I just want you to see that he said, the works that I do, you will do. And greater works. Everywhere Jesus went, he healed. And he told his disciples, lay hands on the sick. He told his disciples, heal the sick. So I'm going to lay my hands on the sick tonight. If there's sickness in your body, you're fighting something, maybe it's something you've been praying about. Maybe it's something you've been begging God. Maybe it's something you've been speaking to. You can't get over it. Here's what I want you to do first. I want you to check your obedience. I want you to spend a moment there where you are and let God speak to you. Let him shine his light say, there's this one thing that you need to deal with. And you can deal with that right there. But what I'd encourage you to do Come up here and symbolically lay it at the altar. And you don't need to spend 30 seconds there. And you don't need to tell anybody what it is. Least of all me. You know what it is. God knows what it is. But it's a, but it's a commitment that you're making. God, I'm going to obey you in this. I'm going to give you this. I'm, I'm going to change this. I'm going to walk in obedience. So if there's something you need to deal with, again, you can, I'm not going to I'm not going to keep count. If you would like to do that, I think it would be a, a, a great way to visibly and purposefully obey God. But if there's nothing, I'm not saying that you're claiming to be uh, sinless, walking in sinless perfection, but if there's nothing in particular... Uh, that God is convicting you about, just come up here and let me pray for you. Don't hesitate. All right? Because I believe we're supposed to pray for the sick and God has moved and I have prayed and I've prayed specifically that the gifts be in operation tonight. Uh, so I believe that we're going to see some manifestations. You're going to experience these manifestations tonight. Healing is God's will for His children. Just as surely as healing is every parent's will for their children. We don't want to see our kids sick. Believe me, God doesn't either. That's why he allowed those stripes to be laid on Jesus back in the first place. That's the price that was paid for your physical healing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.